TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining us today are Brian and Morgan Treadwell. Brian and his dad, John, recently won the Outstanding Rangeland Stewardship Award. This recognition is a joint effort between TSCRA, the Texas Section Society for Range Management, and Texas Grazing Land Coalition. Brian and Morgan, thanks for joining us for TSCRA Talk. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Quite an honor. To start, I want to congratulate you two and the entire Treadwell family. Brian, you and your dad, John, were recognized last month during the Cattle Raisers Virtual Convention as the winner of the Outstanding Rangeland Stewardship Award. Yes, ma'am. That was quite an honor to be recognized by such a fine group of cattlemen for what we've done with what we're fortunate to, to be a part of. Well, and earlier this year, you were also awarded with the Excellence in Rangeland Management Award from the Society of Range Management, which is a national award. So those are two really big honors. You know, it's what's really cool. And I mean, I don't know how to say it, but my dad and I also won the 2006 Statewide Lone Star Land Steward Award and an Aldo Leopold Statewide Conservation Award for a different ranch. But really, it's all... We've done the same thing on every place, and we're just really lucky to be back at the home place now and getting to exercise some of these stewardship practices there. Well, that's extremely neat, and I think that shows your long-term commitment to stewardship. So, Brian, tell us more about your operation. Well, we run a uh, commercial Angus catalog cow-calf operation at the ranch at Fort McCavitt, and we often finish some of those calves here at the irrigated farms at Cristoval. We try and seamlessly fit all parts together. We also have a large sheep flock that we run primarily on the irrigated ground here where we can keep an eye on them a little better. Then a, a big portion of what we do is uh, has to do with hunters, hunting income. And so from the very start, when we, when we try and manage our operation, we have to always be looking at the big picture because we're trying to get the most out of all facets. And one really cool thing about our operation that Morgan kind of changed or, or molded us, we built a wedding venue on the South Concho River, a big rock amphitheater, and she runs weddings down there. And we've got the old registered sale barn that we've converted to the party barn. Well, how exciting. That sounds so fun. And I love it. It's, um, you know, earlier podcast this year, we've talked about how you do what it takes to make it work and that it's tough to make ranching work these days. And so thinking outside the box, using your land for hunting, wedding venues, that's awesome. Well, and you're given this natural resource. And then, the, you know, if you're really creative and efficient, you can find the gems and every facet of it and polish those in to be profit centers. Definitely, definitely. Well, and taking care of your land, then in turn, it takes care of you. Walk us through why stewardship is so important to you and has been important for a long time. Well, as a as fifth generation on the ranch, you know, I, I got to see the impact of the people that came before me. And it's such an honor. It's, or it's really cool to be able to ride the same pastures that, you know, many other generations of Treadwells rode through. And, and you know, the ability that they had to maintain it for my generation is really encouraging for me to follow that original form of stewardship in the Bible for leaving it better than we found it. 
Well, I love that. Now, Morgan, I want to hear from you a little bit. As an extension rangeland specialist, you bring a lot of fresh perspective and your own expertise to the ranch and farm. Tell us about your background and the work you do off the ranch. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where it doesn't feel like I work. Being able to work with ranchers and talk with ranchers about how to make them more productive more sustainable and to make the best better is uh, really a, a true blessing in every shape, way, and form. So my background comes from a pure range science background. My dad worked as a, as a range science specialist for the USDA Forest Service. He served for 35 years throughout Utah, uh, Arizona, New Mexico. And so I got to see him also work on rangelands and not really work a day in his life ever as well. And so that really stayed with me. And so uh, I pursued uh, animal science and ag communications as my bachelor's degree at Utah State University. And then I, I really latched on to the rangeland science and went after a master's degree in range science at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. And then from there, I really started to fine-tune my, my skills and my passion and for what I, I truly wanted to study for, as, a, as a researcher. And that's when I got really big into fire ecology and pursued my PhD from North Dakota State University in range science, but with an emphasis in that fire ecology as well. And so rangelands are, are in my blood. They're in my family. My brother also is a range specialist for uh, the USDA Forest Service in, uh, in Chino Valley, Arizona. And so he does a lot of the same things that I do in a different facet, of course, but he also uh, works on rangelands. And so we're kind of all uh, in a rangeland family. And then of course, being married to, to a rancher, a fifth generation rancher, I, I, uh, I get to live and breathe what he does in and outside of, of my job. Well, she does so much more than that with her education. I mean, we went one time, she spoke to every county judge in the state of Texas at a big convention about rules for fire. And, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to cross over the fence, more or less, and, and reach a group that, that needs to have background information that's not available to them. Well, that's awesome. I think that we can definitely say that y'all are a prescribed burning power couple. So why is prescribed burning an important management practice? Well, it's the only tool that has been truly missing from our landscape. And, you know, without prescribed fire, we have no way to equalize how nature grows. There's a grass fire plan for our prairie land, and we have interrupted it by our intent to protect the grass by putting the fire out and for us, you know, it's it's the cheapest form of brush control. And at the same time that we're treating the brush, we're growing grass. And we start growing grass immediately when the fire comes across. Well, that makes sense. Now, give our listeners some tips on doing a prescribed burn. What's important to know? What's important to keep in mind? Well, first off, with every time you're going to burn something uh, larger than trash, I imagine that you should call dispatch. That's the number one thing you can do to get yourself out of hot water for having a fire. Fire breaks are the most important installation to having a safe fire. And, you know, we always say that we'd rather tackle these problems before the landscape is 10 million degrees and, and blowing up. And so we look for where the problems are going to be 
on a unit's perimeter, and and that's where we encourage uh, you know mechanical work or or some some step ahead of time so that you know there's there's an expectation I believe at the county level that when we go out to use prescribed fire we have some plan to contain it, and that's the first step. And Kristen, I'd I'd like to just emphasize too that you know fire is a part of a rotation just like your grazing rotation, and so. When you think about prescribed burning, it needs to be factored into that pasture as to what pasture is going to be burned potentially <laughs> in the next couple of years. And then that way you're banking your grass and, and um, it's, it's synergistically working within your grazing operation instead of working against it. Oh, and that's that's so helpful to know. It's not something that's just a spur of the moment decision. This this is lots of planning, lots of consideration that goes into it, and evaluating your grass and your plan. And the forecast is is really you know one of the the biggest things that that we plan around. And so we're only as accurate as, as that is in our long term planning. I mean, I have people that call me as clients that say, "Hey, I want to burn January seventeenth, six months from now." And I'll say, okay, we'll put that down, but we'll check in with the weatherman, you know, that week and just kind of see if that's a good day or not. And then, you know, being adaptive and, and really emphasizing adaptive management within your operation is really important, too, because wildfires happen and droughts happen and, and being able to roll with those punches while still being productive and making a living off of those rangelands is, is really important too. So if you've already factored fire into the picture, then you're you're already a step ahead of, of Mother Nature because you're working with that fire landscape and again instead of against it. That makes perfect sense. Now Brian, tell us about the prescribed burning events that you do outside of the ranch. Well, I have a I have a group of men, uh, well, and a couple of ladies, conservation fire team. We travel Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma and light agricultural prescribed fires of all nature and size. And I think we're the we're the largest applicator of, applicator of fire in the state of Texas, with with just my my little eight to ten man crew. And uh, I make a round and see a place once once or twice, you know, initial meeting, we talk about, you know, the fire breaks, the steps necessary to contain the fire, what it would look like if we burned it today and, and why we'd need those those fire break type steps put in. And then uh, they let me know when it's ready. And if I need to come check it again, I do. Otherwise, I take the crew on a forecast. We notify the county judge, sheriff's dispatch, forest service, and, and we show up and we burn it in a single day event. And we burn, you know, up to about 3,000 acres in a single day. Well, that's so neat. And you travel also to Oklahoma and New Mexico, too, correct? You've done the tri-state area? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. And and it's a, it's a little different in the two places. In Oklahoma, there's very little oversight on fire. And I think their liability is a little more lenient. And, and you could even burn at night. And when we burned in New Mexico before, we have a sheriff's helicopters on top flying over so there's a different perception (laughs) sure and and so that's very important that that our listeners know you need to know what the rules are in your state and in your area and and communicate communicate about what you're doing this isn't something that you can just ask for forgiveness for later i mean you know this is uh every time we take prescribed fire out and use it you know, just even my team, all of fire for the state of Texas is a tool 
goes with us. And, and you know, I, I try and stress that with the landowner. They, they may want to save some money here or there on early preparation, but, you know, we, we really that's where we need to be our most vigilant is in our preparation because that's the only chance we have to mitigate really any problems before they happen. The rest of it's up to my guys to, to keep it on the playing field. But Yeah, it definitely makes sense to plan ahead, have a plan, and, and, and be ready. Now, yes, ma'am. What something maybe we haven't covered, something that people don't quite understand about prescribed burning that you would want them to know? Safe. <laughs> well, we both probably have our, our little golden nuggets that we harp on all the time. For me, mine is, is a season of fire. So many people are used to burning within that winter burn window, typically from January to March. Unfortunately, that's when all of our fine fuels are cured out and they're completely dormant. And so we see a lot more wildfire potential during that winter time period. Whereas if we're burning within the historical fire season, which is obviously summer, some of our warm season grasses are still green. Therefore, they have high amounts of fuel moisture in them, and it's a much safer fire. And it's honestly a better fire in terms of brush mortality uh, for brush control because that fire sits there and cooks, cooks all of that moisture out of the fuel and um, is thereby a longer duration fire and, and so more effective. So fire season can be really useful if we start understanding our native vegetation, our native rangelands, and how they work uh, within that fire window. She, she's answering this question, bouncing a baby too. So not everybody can use the word synergy and, and hold a two-month-old. I uh, love it. I love it. And tell us who the sixth generation Treadwell is with y'all there. Take us Whitley. And she, she was born July 28th. Uh, well, Morgan's right. I think in using fire, you know, if the true big picture is that we start working with nature instead of fighting her, then we would burn. We would be flexible enough in our program to burn whenever she would burn. And so, you know, the, the other day we had, let's say a month ago, we had six inches of rain all at once. Everything greened up and the burn projects we had waiting they got a gr- kind of a growing season type fire when we returned to the field. And, and it's hard to imagine, you know, two weeks after a six inch rain and you can, it burns really well. It's part of nature's plan. And, and that's where your planning comes in. Cause no matter what, what happens with the weather, if you've deferred for a fire, you're going to have fuel for a fire. Again, it makes sense. And is such good information. Now, if folks want to learn more or they're considering doing a prescribed burn, what resources would y'all recommend that they they look into? Burn schools to get, you know, some sort of experience. There's prescribed burn associations. Absolutely. So check with your local NRCS. They're going to know who to put you in contact with to provide technical assistance for a prescribed burn. Your local Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, regional fire managers I think there's about eight or so throughout the state, and they can provide technical assistance as well. And then also your local county extension agent, they're, uh, they're going to, if they don't have the information, they're going to know who to put you in contact with. And then Brian was right. Texas Department of Agriculture has over 20 different 
lead burn instructors who can teach burn schools. And so when you attend a burn school, you are starting the first step in attaining your private or your commercial or your not for government um, prescribed burn license. And that burn license gives you the ability to burn during a burn ban. And you're backed by the Texas Department of Agriculture, similar to a pesticide or herbicide license. So there's lots of agencies available. And then there's lots, lots of really good information online. The Noble Foundation or the Noble Research Institute from Oklahoma um, has a very active prescribed burden program. And then also universities like Texas A&M University and Oklahoma State University were doing really solid research every day to um, equip landowners with better decision-making tools so that they, um, they have the right information to, to make the right decisions. Wonderful. That is a great list for folks to check out and and investigate. So, Brian and Morgan, thank you all so much for being with us today, and congratulations again on the award. Thank you very much. It's quite an honor. Thank you, Kristen. Joining us now is Carl Ray Polk, the second vice president for TSCRA. Carl Ray, thanks for being with us today. Good morning. Thanks for including me, Kristen. Now, Election Day is just around the corner, November 3rd. And I think we've all heard plenty about the presidential election. We're very well aware that that is taking place. But that's not all that's on the ballot, correct? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and if you go down the ballot, Kristen, and start to look at our, at our Senate race, uh, our Democratic challengers to John Cornyn, there are, I believe, 36 House seats uh, that are up. You've got the Railroad Commission position, State Board of Education, you can go down. Uh, we spring court, appeals court. And, you know, we have a strong group of folks running in the Texas House that could easily see our House uh, representatives uh, switch from a Republican controlled House to a Democratic controlled House, which has not happened in a long time. Now, these are all very, very important positions that could have a huge impact on landowners and cattlemen. Kristen, I think this election cycle in Texas is one of the most critical cycles that I've experienced in my lifetime. Again, there's been so much, and a lot of it is driven by the the, the COVID pandemic, but more so in Texas leadership, you've seen a changing of the guard. We we had a speaker that unfortunately <laughs> said a few things he shouldn't have, so you're going to have a new speaker coming in. There's talk of even a changeover at some point in the in the Senate and some leadership positions there. I encourage people to watch and pay close attention at a federal level, but my kids will tell you that their father just pounds on them to pay close attention to state government because that's what affects us, that rural Texans and even those suburban Texans. What we experience in our Texas government is just critical to the livelihood of, of members of TSCRA and rural America, rural Texas in general. Where should folks go to learn more about these candidates and just get general information about the election? So I encourage folks, Kristen, to, to do a couple of things. Get involved locally. Find out who is running for your House seat, your Senate seat, who's running for your commissioner, county commissioner, county judge. All of that's typically available on a county website in your local county or city or county. Secondly, TSCRA, Caleb, Jeremy, Jason, 
they are welcoming of phone calls to give you their endorsements or recommendations for many of these races across the state. Our guys in Austin, I give kudos to them because they keep their ear to the ground. They know these races. They recognize those representatives that are going to that are going to truly represent their districts. And of course, that's that's what we want. But and you can go to votetexas.gov. I, I've seen that one. But frankly, if you if you have specific questions about a race in your Senate district or in your House district. To pick up the phone and call Caleb or Jeremy, either one, those guys are readily available and love to hear from you. That is great info for folks to go and do their homework. And I'll wrap up by saying that I am sometimes uh, too much of an advocate for our uh, ability to get out and vote. And I'm also a huge advocate for grassroots efforts. And don't wait, for our members out there, don't wait to know who your state House member is or your state senator is. Go Go by and meet their chief of staff in your local hometown. Have them to where they know who you are, whether you're in Muleshoe, Texas, Lufkin, Texas, or Zapata County. Get out and and understand who your representation is in Austin. And don't hesitate. Call the Austin office. Talk to Caleb. Talk to Jeremy. Get an idea of the representation of this particular candidate or that particular candidate, because it really doesn't matter whether you're whether you're voting in a Democratic primary or Republican. Our state government is teed up for us to be active and engaged in. And and whether you're a member of cattle wages or you're not, take that opportunity. It is something that we take for granted every day. But I encourage you to get involved in your in your local elections and state elections. Wonderful. Yep. I love that part. Be active, be engaged. I think that's that's a very important key. Well, Carl Ray, we sure appreciate your time today and your insight. To learn more about TSCRA, visit tscra.org.